That, that was going to be a great track. Guys, what's the deal? Uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but I could have used a little more cowbell. And we're back in live. I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing This Week. Hey everybody, a lot has happened in the last week, if you didn't already know. Protests against police brutality, protests against racism, have all sprung up in every major city around the United States and even in the world. Now, I am merely a young ski racer trying his hand at podcasting. I'm not a political commentator and it's not my place to use this podcast to promote any sort of political agenda. I am, however, a human being, and in that context, I would like to use what small platform I have to promote simply kindness. Regardless of your beliefs, kindness and respect will go a long way in these times, not only in this country, but all over the world. I don't think that's something you can argue with. Now, I think in these times, I would also be remiss in not mentioning well, the whiteness of ski racing. This may be uncomfortable for some of you to talk about, but I think uncomfortable truths are important. I can't tell you what the specific causes of this are, but I do know that it is important that we get the conversation started. More diversity in ski racing, like in anything, is never a bad thing. So that's as political as I'll get, as real world as I'll get, but I do stand by what I say kindness, and let's get the conversation started about more diversity. Now, in terms of ski racing headlines, there's nothing quite as dramatic as protests and riots, but here they are. So, really, the, the big headline was, on May 25th, FIS's, FIS's, spring meetings concluded, and the council announced critical developments. First, Parallel Slalom and Parallel GS are now just, quote-unquote, parallel, using GS equipment. Only the top 16 from the qualifying round will battle it out head-to-head -head in a bracket. The uh, 16 through 30 in the qualification still get World Cup points. And each racer will get a run in both courses now, as opposed to just one before. Second, the 2020 Fisk Congress was postponed to October 4th. This also postpones the election of the successor of current Fisk president, Jean-Franco Cosper. Third, the World Cup race calendar looks very similar to years past, with uh, the exception of COVID-19 task forces for each venue now. Of note in the schedule is the addition of individual and team parallel events on November 21st and 22nd in Lech, Austria. Also, Wengen race organizers came to an agreement to keep the race on the schedule, and a final decision on Cortina World Championships will happen July 1st. Finally, the brand Compass has developed a handheld FloraWax testing device, which has yet to be certified, but is undergoing the process by the Frauenhof Institute this summer. If the prototype is effective, testing will begin at races this coming World Cup season. The threshold will be high at first, but slowly lowered each season, with the ultimate objective being a zero-detectable 
Floros on skis in the 2022-23 season. Check out my episode a few weeks back on the whole fluorinated wax situation up to this point. All right, I've got a great show for you all today. It was recorded several days ago before all the recent events. My guest is Ian McElmer. If you don't know that name, the last name may sound familiar to some East Coast racers, he is also known as the founder of Slalom Tokyo Drift. And if you don't know what that is, let me tell you briefly. Basically, it started as a blog when those were hip, and then transitioned to Instagram, where the page has over 156,000 followers. The motto is, quote-unquote, the best of the worst of ski racing. If you're on Instagram and don't follow Slalom Tokyo Drift, not only are you part of a tiny minority in the ski racing world, you are also missing out on the wildest ski racing crashes caught on camera. Slalom Tokyo Drift is an important, vital part of ski racing culture, and I had a great conversation with Ian all about it. But right before I press play, I want to tell you that this episode is once again proudly sponsored by the ADL Ski Club. The ADL is reinventing the ski club experience for the modern era. With huge gear discounts, small pro-style trips to the classic World Cup races in Wengen, Kitzbühel, and Schladming. Okay, Schladming, let me the side note right here. Schladming is, as if some of you loyal listeners know, my favorite World Cup race of them all. It's a night slalom. It's 70,000 crazy Austrians. Uh, it's a, it, it's a uh, once-in-a-lifetime must-visit. So I'll just say that. As well as Deep Powder Adventures in Japan, Japan, I already talked about that last episode, and other epic trips. For this week's show, listen up, the ADL is happy to offer all listeners of today's show one of their famous Fast Club t-shirts when you join their club. All you have to do is mention ski racing and your t-shirt size on the sign-up form found at adlskiclub.com. Again, that's adlskiclub.com. All right, without further ado, Ian McCumber. Ian, great to have you on the show. Jimmy, thanks for having me. So, uh, first off, just how's quarantine been? Uh, quarantine has been okay for me. So, I'm in Boston. Um, I have my road bike, have my car, so been getting more miles than ever. Um, fortunately, still employed in, in, uh, in an industry that if anything's doing well, so that's all good. Um, a little nervous about sort of scheduling big ski trips for coming up, especially yeah. like anything involving travel, uh, internationally. So that's, that's the only downside. We'd love to have sort of like a blowout 30th birthday somewhere, um, somewhere with some good operate ski. So that's the only downside, but other than that, holding up pretty well. I know you're a big operate ski guy. I know you spent some time in Kitzbühel, uh, yeah, yeah. doing a little partying, um, so, but we have, there's a, the, from where you uh, started out in ski racing to where you are in the ski racing world now, we have to start from the beginning. So, yep. you, um, you're from the East, right? Yep, yep, from Boston originally. Gotcha. And you went to and skied for Dartmouth? Yep. And so that's where Slalom Tokyo Drift started? So it actually started before that, um, started when I was at Burke. So grew up originally going, a weekend warrior, going to wildcat. Um, when I was, I guess, 15 or 16, went to Burke for 10th through 12th grade. And then I think, uh, probably in, in 11th grade. So I was a junior, so it must've been about 10 years ago. Um, 
slalom race at Waterville. And I just had like the worst run and it was right in front of the photographer. And I was just like wide on gates going slow, not even embarrassing enough. That I was thinking, but just like lost all my speed. I know the feeling. <laughs> and just everyone else's photos, you know, are them like snapping arcs and, and hitting gates. And for me, it's just like pull plants on the flats. Um, so from there, I think it was kind of like, you know, turned it into a Facebook album. One of my friends had, you know, a funny crash sequence the week later. So added that to the album, had captions for all of it, just describing kind of what was going through my head. Um, so initially it was a series of albums on Facebook. And then eventually people started uh, friending me, but I didn't know to look at the album. Uh-huh. So at that point it was actually a blog spot for probably four years where we had, you know, really few followers. It's like we had to go kind of sort the photos ourselves, mm-hmm. like, finding, you know, looking through all the, all the photographers online, going through their photos, dragging them in and making captions. And then where it really took off is when we switched to Instagram, yeah. which was probably my junior year. So senior year when you were doing the blog, uh, I mean, that, that was the, that was like the golden age of blogs, which didn't last very long. Yeah. Like what, what was that? Like 2010 yeah, yeah. or something? Yeah, it must've been 2010. 2009, yeah, like 2010. Okay. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. and then the, uh, you did it. I, I, uh, I was doing some research. Um, you don't have a Wikipedia page and I was looking up how to make a Wikipedia page because it's like, Psalm Tokyo Drift has got to have a Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. I know Nolan Casper has a has one, and I'd say I'm more famous than him. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Nolan, shout out. We had Nolan on the podcast uh, last week, two weeks ago. Um, yeah, cool. so you did a couple YouTube videos. Like you were, you had this uh, American Mob uh, thing yeah. going on, where you yeah. did like these funny covers of uh, rap songs. Yeah, well, let me tell you, I, I did not make a whole bunch of varsity races for Dartmouth, so I had a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was kind of like really easy, you know, the first time where like everyone has GarageBand on their computer. So that, yeah. that actually started at Burke as well, but did a couple of remixes to skiing songs mm-hmm. and then and I either sort of shot like little music videos myself, mostly on like, you know, camera phones or, you know, took clips from crashes that were submitted and sort of set them to music. So haven't had the time to do that in a while maybe we'll bring it back um but yeah that was that was a ton of fun like i mean that's obviously you know you've been on ski camps where you finish skiing at 2 p.m and have the rest of the day after dry land just to hang out so it's just like a a fun way to kill time back in the day yeah i love it i i've i've dabbled in making some stupid silly videos um you have some great edits (laughs) i don't sell yourself short well i have some fun with it um yeah yeah so now the Instagram it has 156,000 followers. You have like 3,000 posts. Um, yeah. What, when, at what point did it become like, okay, this is crazy. Like I'm getting way too many submissions. Um, yeah. So, I mean, first of all, like right for the first six years of it, we had to source our own submissions. Uh-huh. Uh, and I would say basically until almost two years ago, we, we did read like every DM. Now it's a little overwhelming, to be yeah. honest. Um, How many but, do you get a day? Like, what did you say? How many DMs do you get a day? Uh, thirty. Wow. Thirty to thirty to fifty in the winter. Um, but but I would say like um, you know, 
first year we were on Instagram, we probably ended with like 5,000. And I was like, okay, you know, that's probably most people that have skied fits in the U.S. in the last couple of years. That sounds about right. Yeah. And then I think uh, when I first started to realize it was kind of big is when like people on the world prep that I'd never met that weren't from the U.S. followed me. And then this is, you know, a Boston answer. But when we had 40,000 followers, I was kind of like, not all of the followers could fit in Fenway Park. <laughs> Which, <laughs> that to me was like, I was like, every time, you know, we're putting something up, it's, it's almost like the equivalent of like, you know, putting something on the Jumbotron just in terms of audience. Yeah. Um, so that was a big piece of it. And then sort of like also, just, um, frankly, anything involving like Lara Goot, you know, just when the, uh, when the, you know, World Cup athletes that obviously kind of like grow up paying attention to start sort of like, engaging back with you and like commenting on stuff yeah um, that was definitely pretty fun like when that started happening well you had the whole that whole storyline going um like slum tokyo's crush on lara Goot. um yeah yeah wait walk me through that because it didn't end too well uh no <laughs> i mean yeah 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 so so uh i would sort of say like 2014 15 mm-hmm. We would just sort of like comment on her post, slide in her DM. She DM us back. Then uh, in Killington, I think Megan Harrod made it happen. Um, talked to her people. They were like, "Yeah, sure, we'll do it." Had an awesome, you know, gondola ride with her. Met her for the first time. Gave her some merch. She gave me her leader bib, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then basically we were kind of just doing the exact same shit as always. We were just like commenting heart eyes on our posts and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that it's like a slum Tokyo drift thing, but I know she eventually sort of like deleted her Instagram and, and got married. So <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the blame on me, but we don't, we didn't really chirp her too much anymore. Yeah. Well, it's a shame because it was a, it was very fun to watch. Um, the fire burned bright. The did. brightest candle burned out the fastest. Yeah, it was great. Um, but then I think like her her husband like commented or she commented like stop this or something. I just remember like she had a weird post at the end before she deleted her Instagram. She had a weird comment or something. I think uh, water under the bridge now. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I I enjoy I enjoyed it while no it lasted. <laughs> um, and uh, so who's the who's the new? Uh, I know that uh, Jansrud is def- is a uh, a favorite of slum tokyo drift and uh alice merriweather too big yep so so that uh yanju definitely top man crush especially since Svendal's off the circuit Mm -hmm. um and then we also have like a i I probably still post about 70 percent of what's on there but we got some younger guys also that that work it so sam young money mason um you know who's been shooting his shot at alice Uh they live pretty close to each other so uh, I think he just turned 21. She was supposed to come to his birthday party. Obviously, that got canceled because of quarantine. So we'll see where it goes. But yeah, say uh, Alice. Alice is you know we're 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 big fans of Alice. Nice. Alice is great. We'll have her on the pod at some point. Um, good, good. So when how did you start? Because um, I know now you you you. you uh, all the proceeds go to nonprofits, the Kelly Brush Foundation. Yes. 
Um, but how did you start monetizing it in the beginning? Yeah. So basically, um, first thing we did is obviously when we're on, you know, Blogspot, you can embed ads. And it certainly wasn't a lot. But like, you know, when you're in college, obviously, <laughs> money money goes a lot further. Um, so then just like some ad stream from revenue. And then, you know, I was kind of pretty insistent throughout the process that like if we're going to make merch, it would be good merch. So yeah. we've never made sort of like shitty cotton t-shirts. We've done screen printed Nike dry fits where I buy like, you know, $2,000 worth of Nike dry fits, put on the Salem Tokyo Drift logo and sell them. We've worked with some partners as well. Um, so I'd say kind of like when it, two, two t basically two things that made us realize it didn't make a ton of sense to keep monetizing were one, it got to the point where I was like going to have to figure out the tax implications of it. Oh, <laughs> where yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, I was like, you know, if I, <laughs> if I'm like selling t-shirts in a, in a uh, out of an RV at Killington and getting cash, that's probably fine. But like once we start to set up like something that, you know, has a lot of credit card swipes and starting to make like go from hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars, I just didn't really want to figure that out. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece, frankly, sort of like sort of goes two ways, which is like, I, th I think basically the, you know, response that the ski racing community has given us has been much better and I think honestly, like we've gotten some pretty once in a lifetime opportunities through this, like the ability to, you know, stand on the hill for the fall world cups and like slip the Hanan com and like be in the, in the start gate and watch guys push out. It's like all that stuff, you know, certainly is, means a lot more to me and the rest of the guys than, you know, a couple thousand dollars. So that's a big part of it. And then I think, um, frankly, you know, what, what, uh, Maybe maybe not the company line, but you're you're definitely allowed to be a little more ridiculous with your captions if it's all a nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> you got to kind of you got to pass something good eventually. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So how much uh, is it? I heard you. Do you donate to T two as well, or does it all go to uh, Kelly Brush? We have not donated T two. We've worked with a lot with athletes like Michael and Wiley who have also mm -hmm. worked with T two. Yeah. Um, but generally, um, I think we, we initially were like, let's found a nonprofit, sort of continue to sell t-shirts, raise money, and then use that money for merch. And now increasingly, we're actually just like, let's find partners who will sell merch and donate the proceeds on our behalf. So we've done that gotcha. with Sync Performance. We've done it with Flylo. Um, we've done it with a belt company that I forget. So that's, that's been a lot more of it. And then um, I also have been working a lot more with Youth Enrichment Services, which is a charity in Boston to get inner, inner city kids out skiing. Oh, that's um, cool. I'm on, I'm on the board for them. I'm, I'm not on the board for Kelly Brush. Somehow Zeke's never picked up the phone and, and made that call. I don't know. So, <laughs> All right, um, Zeke, if you're listening. Yeah, so, so donated some money um, to Yes this year for the first time and then took some kids out skiing this year for the first time, which was a ton of fun. That's awesome. Where do they bring them skiing? So I think like, unfortunately the answer is like, uh, wherever they can get tickets. And frankly, I think it was a little easier when things were a little more mom and pop where it was like, you know, take, take a whole bunch of kids to a family owned ski area. And now certainly not that there's like, I think icon and Epic are doing a lot of good things too, but it's like, it's just not as easy to get through the bureaucracy layer of like, yeah, 
can I take, you know, 120 kids skiing for the first time and get discounted tickets? Yeah, that makes sense. So it's basically whoever, whoever will have us, which oftentimes is not the ones that are the closest to Boston. So like there's, you know, three hour drives one way to Pico, for example. Gotcha. Well, I think a that's, long day. <laughs> yeah, that is a long day. Um, that's like, it's like, uh, one of those, some of the, some of the schools that have to drive two hours to train every day, like Harvard or, or St. Lawrence yeah. or something. Um, but yeah. I think that's cool because, and I'm trying to get, trying to get some publicity on this podcast or get some interviews with people that are making a difference in terms of the, like inequality in ski racing. Cause it's such a, yeah. you know, you know, there's, there's this one population that can ski race and then it's there's such a barrier once you start getting higher up such a financial barrier um so that's cool and how much how much are you if i if i can ask how much are you able to generate yeah. for kelly brush and other foundations yeah good question um to be to be totally honest i don't always know mostly because like we'll do sort of like partnerships with other brands to sort of use the slalom tokyo drift logo on stuff and sell it um but so like sync performance generated like a ton of money for Michael and Wiley over the last couple of years, um, sort of like for their skiing careers. And then, um, I think this year sync wrote like a pretty big, I think, I think like a thousand dollar check to KBF, um, nice. fly low has done it as like a percentage of their profits. So I think I would guess probably like over 1000 and under 5,000 most years. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, to be totally honest, I did not do as great of a job, like, <laughs> doing logistics stuff on it this year as I have in years past. Yeah. Well, you do have a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I um, had a full-time job, and then I actually just finished business school about a year ago. So, business school is kind of, like, oh, back to college with yeah. high levels of, like, free time to go <laughs> write Instagram captions and, like, source connections and now it's kind of the first like truly big boy job i've had where it's a lot a lot harder to go through 60 instagram dms yeah I'm sure. <laughs> mostly of like 12 year olds losing an outside ski <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well um i'm sure that the few 12 year olds that get on it are are absolutely it's probably the highlight of their ski racing careers um, I have I have had that before. Maybe that's another reason. It, it does feel big when people are like, "Have you made Have you made it onto the drift?" <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Yeah, and then all their friends comment in the post, and they're like, "Oh my god, you're on the drift!" Yeah, yeah. Um, I know we we gotta like uh, send out badges for that or something. That would be sweet. Yeah, that yeah. I mean I I don't know. Maybe you're creating. Alice Merriweather would have like a helmet full. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Have you she, posted, and, she and Breezy generate a oh, lot of content. I was just going to say, Breezy Johnson had some great crashes. Um, yeah. Some of them not so great. Some of them she, were, she she blew her knee out, which is not great. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, let's see here. Um, yeah, I was I was also wanted to ask, like, we have already talking about this, but I wanted to touch on, like, how influential Slum Tokyo Drift is. And I think it's super cool because you're starting to reach outside the ski racing world. Like there are people that follow it that don't really, that don't know ski racing, but they're like, this is sick. It's cool to watch people crash. <laughs> um, I don't like, have you thought about that? Have you thought about the fact that it's like something that, uh, it, like that does something in ski racing? Um, not many things in ski racing do that. 
It's, it's funny that you say that because uh, Colton Hardy runs Jerry the Day, and mm-hmm. he he was like a year or two older than me, but we definitely had some fist races together. And I remember there was one point where, as we were each getting a little bigger on Instagram, uh, he actually would post a lot more ski racing crashes, and like I would post a lot more just sort of like fails. Uh-huh. And then we just had a uh, like a T bar ride together at Spring Series in Laurel A, uh-huh. and we were like, how should we split it up? Cause we're kind of doing the same thing. And I think at the time I had no idea how different they would be, but we were basically like, I'll keep ski racing. You do everything else. And then obviously, you know, he has, he, he's like, you know, that's crazy. Like millions of followers and, yeah. and can certainly a full-time living doing it versus us. I think it's a little, I don't know. I would sort of say like, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely influential, uh, outside of just ski racing, but I do kind of think that one of the things I like about it is that certainly the captions map on to all sorts of life occurrences, but I do, I do kind of like that it's still pretty much ski racing and ski racing culture. Yeah, that is cool. It is kind of like a like every if you, if you ski race, you follow Slam Tokyo Drift. That's kind of how it, how it yeah. goes. Um, yeah, yeah. So I I also wanted to talk to you a bit about just like um, the World Cup because I know that you're still a fan of ski racing um and so who do you like to follow the most in the world cup like um in terms of in terms of uh like personality in terms of content like who's your favorite man i mean it's it's so the answer is basically just sort of like whoever kind of like engages with us to be honest um like yonzrud's up there um love hildy hate henrik (laughs) uh I mean, yeah, like love some of the the new slalom guys. I think they're super fun to watch. Um, women's side, Alice Robinson, super exciting. Yeah. Obviously, like Michaela's incredible. Um, oh, fuck, I'm gonna completely blow her name. Ragnald Mowinkle. Um, yeah, she's always been a big fan and, and DMs that stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I'd say generally like love the Swedes, love the Norwegians. Um, who else? Blaze, that French guy. Blaze Giesendonner. Yeah, yeah. I, I was not going to take a stab at that last name, but um, he's DM'd us some stuff. Some of the Swiss guys have DM'd us some stuff. Nice. Yeah, I, I'd say like love the um, up and co- up and coming slalom right now. I feel like is the favorite because like obviously, uh, you know, Marcel Hersher won everything. And now it's like a whole bunch of guys that are all pretty new and super young. I think that's kind of like my favorite to watch on the guys' side. Yeah. I, and I was going to ask you like what, what you think is the most exciting um, kind of title race to watch. And um, definitely Slalom is pretty cool. We actually – you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned Henrik. We had Lucas Broughton on the show. And um, yeah. we asked him uh, how his relationship was with Henrik because I don't know if you saw, but he, he had this interview – with when he won the first round at Kitzbühel Slalom this past year, they had an interview with him side by side with Henrik, and the Norwegian television asked, um, "Who is Lucas Bratton?" And he said, um, "I'm the next one." And <laughs> Henrik kind of gave him this look, and uh, you know, Lucas kind of explained that um, they're cordial, but Henrik isn't part of his team. Henrik has his own team, does his own thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Uh, he hasn't. He's gotten more guidance from you know Kilde or 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 Svindal or Jansrud and and not as much from Henrik. 
Yeah, I mean we we've been blocked by him for a while. So yeah. well, uh, we got. I, I I'm trying to go easy on him. Um, yeah, he is fun to watch as a skier. Certainly, he's, yeah, he's a beautiful skier. Beautiful skier. Um, so speaking of which, who who is your favorite skier to watch uh, in general? Like in terms of style. Yeah, I mean this is gonna be an old older school answer, mm-hmm. but I'd say like. When Grange was at his peak, yeah, that was like my favorite song. Obviously, like both Ted and Hersher, I just feel like you can see their skis hook up, yeah, faster than everyone else's. Um, you know, coming down that last pitch at Beaver Creek or like you know the steep parts on Alta Bedina, it just does look like when you watch those old clips, it's like they're they're doing a different sport than everyone else. Yeah. Um, for speed, love everyone. Can't can't really tell the difference between like one guy or another. Yeah. Um, then women's side, obviously, like Alice and Mikhail and Petra are, are all super fun to watch. Yeah, I like it. Um, it's fun to talk about ski racing because I, I actually haven't talked about ski racing in a while. I've talked to people about ski racing, but yeah. not about like the, the World Cup circuit. Um, what's your favorite? I love watching Tommy Ford and, and Robbie Kelly too. Those yes. guys, those guys could like really drop the knee at the top of the turn. Yeah, Tommy. Uh, Tommy Ford was beautiful this year at Beaver Creek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so cool. And uh, and 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 Robbie Kelly is tearing it up uh, in uh, USCSA. I can't believe that guy still has any any type of eligibility. <laughs> I know. I think what's he twenty seven or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's. I think he's a double varsity sport. I think he's playing uh, football. I think he's playing special teams. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I'm surprised he's not fishing. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, when Robbie Kelly first made the World Cup, I think he edited his own Wikipedia page to say that he had been drafted uh, in the NFL and MLB. And like really? every single major news outlet took that and ran with it. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> he's so also great. been drafted, which like shows you how much research they do. That is so great. That I mean, shows you the power of a Wikipedia page. We got we to gotta get Slam Tokyo on. I know. Yeah. If, if you make it, make sure you make make sure you exaggerate a little bit. I think I will. I think I. Yeah. I think, and then you guys can post about the fact that you have a Wikipedia page that, and no one has to know in, unless they listen to the podcast that it was yeah. me that made it. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in. Nice. All right, I'm gonna get working on. It. I lo- I looked it up on on Google, and it's a little more complicated than I thought it was, but um, I'll make it happen. So what's yeah. if, what, if no one has one and I don't, that's an issue. It's an issue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got to get Nolan on. I got to tell him you said that. Um, so what's your prediction for the overall winners, men and women next year, if we have a season? Well, what's your prediction yeah, for that? I mean, what's your prediction for whether we have a season? Uh, I, I bet we will. I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the, like, I'm, I'm no more informed on this than anyone else but i I kind of feel like of all the sports where (laughs) you just like put on a necky stand away from people and just make it happen i yeah i I think it'll happen nice um i mean men's side is like super exciting obviously herpes had it locked up for so long but even before that it kind of felt like no one was sort of dominant enough on the speed side to get it done maybe since yanka i think he was probably the last guy that won an overall heavily over indexing on that stuff so 
it was cool to see someone who's not like a who doesn't feel like he's small in one last year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, what were they like coming down to the last day, basically, or kind of. You know, if they had pulled the plug after one more slalom, it might have gone a little differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how did Pintero do? Did he finish third? I think – I can't remember if he finished second or third, but I know that yeah. Pintero was on track to win if they if they kept that GS in slalom um, that they can't – I'm going to predict Pintero for the guys uh, and predict Mikhail for the girls, which is obviously – easy <laughs> that's a, that's an easy one yeah um nice well we'll hold you to the predictions um a a question that may be hard to answer and the problem with instagram is that you can't find like it's so hard you have to scroll through forever to find the yeah, right yeah, yeah, the yeah. right crashes but what is your do you have like an all-time crash like or like maybe a reel of 10 like, yeah. Okay. Think let, me, of... let me. That's. I, I wish. I wish you'd give me some pre-work on yeah, this. I know. So. But I can. I can obviously start. Okay. The goat would be Herman. Mm-hmm. Uh, At the Nagano Olympics. Nagano. Yeah. And so I actually got to uh, uh, two winters ago. Got to go ski down that trail, which is pretty cool. So it's like you know, <laughs> as as Mr. Slum Tokyo Drift, it's like a a coming of age moment, seeing where Herman had the most famous <laughs> crash ever. Um. Other than that, I would say one of my favorites, self-indulgently, is that I, I coached U16s in, in Wildcat mm-hmm. um, for four years after I graduated. And there's just like this great clip where I have them film me. We're blasting off some snowmaking wheels. And I like double eject, do two front flips, broke my helmet, broke my goggles, like cut my nose open. So I posted that like once a year for a while. Um, uh, what else Um, the one where uh, someone Peter Phil does a backflip at Kitzbühel's up there Bowie skiing on the nets up there Yep. Um, god there have been some crazy ones Mm -hmm. you know the near misses like like when the guy hit the fence at Vengen this year that was nuts hit the fence going over the jump right yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I'm, try- I'm trying to think. There's, yeah, there have been some great ones yeah. over the years. Have you seen uh, De Strife? The movie about yeah, the Monty Kong? Yeah. yeah. De Strife, one hell of a ride. Um, that one, that. Uh, yeah, uh, I watched the one. I mean, I've, I've watched not, not the most recent Kitsville, but the previous two in person. So I've seen some pretty nasty in-person crashes yeah it's like that's a it's, it's like the most mean-spirited hill it's like oh. you look at Kitzbühel and you're like i like if this if this run had been built for the first time in 1970 they would take a bulldozer and just grade out everything in the summer it's like it is just utterly inappropriate to have people going down that hill so fast which is obviously what makes it so special but just like yeah the bumps are like it's it's like just work roads it, it would be like blasting down glades and like hitting a work road at full speed it's just it's like it, you could fix it so easily and they just don't which is like obviously the whole part of the allure yeah it's it's amazing i've i've you, you said you slipped down it. i've slipped down it and it is insane to think about um to just just sit there and and, and think about like i how do you point your skis down this thing um 
yeah. I, there's a funny story. Uh, one of my teammates last year, um, he's uh, he was he was 19, I think, and uh, the coach all year had been like, "We're gonna put you in the in the slum or and sorry in, in the uh, the Europa Cup downhill at Kitzbühel, which basically yeah. starts two gates down and ends like." Uh, I don't know, 10 gates up, but you still get some gnarly sections. And we thought it was a joke. And all year he kept saying, I'm putting you in the Europa Cup, I'm putting you. And then he finally did it. And uh, I remember he was was absolutely terrified. And he said you would stand in the start and you couldn't see over the edge of the Mousafali, that first jump. But you could just hear guys' skis, like chatter, chatter. Like the chatter was echoing up the mountain. And then you just, you yeah. know, you'd hear it disappear for a second, like a little bit longer than you wanted to hear it disappear, like how long they were in the air for. Um, yeah. Crazy. So you, so we started the interview, we talked about Kitzbühel, um, and you said, um, I, I, it's, it's pretty fun opera ski um, after the race. Yeah. And you were, you said uh, the place to be is the Londoner. Uh, yep. Can you tell us a bit about Which that? Which I heard closing. Closing, he said. So, okay, so here's here's what I'll say about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's, it's super famous. First year I was there, it was much more like big group of dudes. We were just like out all night, and, and it's just like smoke-filled, disgusting. That was the year that Dressen won. So like mm-hmm. first time in Germany they won, maybe ever. Um, so it was just like so sweet when he showed up. And then um, it is – I mean it's just anarchy. Like mm-hmm. – like people just like throw up in the toilets and like don't get kicked out. Um, it's like 50 euros to get in and you're like, and the other thing is like, it's Europe. So people don't wait in line. It's just like, you're just like 16 year olds that are like cutting you in line. And you're like, what on earth is going on? But it's like, um, they'll all let you in. And then I think second year, not to take away from it, but it was sort of like in an odd way. It was like, everyone knows you're supposed to go there. So it was just like, a lot more so, I don't know, it's like 40-year-old dudes that are just kind of like sitting around creeping and like waiting for something to happen. But second year in Kitzbühel, actually um, got to hang out more with Jan Hudek, who is like so famous over there. Canadian downhiller. And he plays in like a jam band with Ivica Kostelik, who, uh, by the way, still looks like he could just hop, he could win a slalom tomorrow if he needed to. Um, so that was super fun because it was like a very different scene but um you know last night in kitzbühel second year we just went to their like small little show and we were like uh hey we're with the hudek and they, they let us in and watched jan hudek and avisa coast like just crush like 80s rock band covers all that's night long, which is pretty cool <laughs> that's awesome well yeah but I mean, you if you do have like uh you do have to do the londoner at some point <laughs> on, on kitzbühel saturday I'll, I'll be there. I, I watched the slalom last year. Uh, we made it yeah. to there just in time. Got to watch some of the American slalom guys. Um, but uh, I don't know if speeds, if if, if uh, running Kitzfiel is in my future. But uh, I'll make it to London at some point. Yeah, yeah. It's. <laughs> I would say uh, it's, it's might be the most fun you never want to have again, but it is worth doing once. Gotcha. <laughs> well, well, wear a shirt you don't care about. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well, uh, we're actually nearing the end of the interview Ian. uh, it's been great to talk to you, but we yeah, do have, well. we do have one question that we ask yep. all our listeners. And I always, if I've done my research, I know what the answer is going to be, but we keep a tally, which is why I ask it. So 
Eastern yeah. mountains or Western mountains? Oh man. <laughs> Eastern mountains are near and dear to my heart, but I got to say Western. <laughs> really? Okay. So yeah. born and raised in the East, but you're going with the West. Yeah. I mean, if you've, uh, if you've had a powder day at Alta, it's, <laughs> you've had a powder day at Alta and a day of spring skiing at Squaw. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you could say East Coast and mean it. You're, you're a well-traveled man. It's, uh, I'll respect the answer. So, yeah. um, well, I appreciate the, uh, appreciate the time and, uh, keep Slalom Tokyo Drift great. Yeah, we'll do Jimmy. And, uh, anytime you make a, make a video edit, we'll toss it up and good luck next year. Well, a huge thanks to Ian McAmer for taking my call. Uh, we had a tough time. He's a busy man. We had a tough time getting a hold of him, but we did. And I thought it was a great interview. I didn't get to mention to him uh, an apology because as a young ski racer three or four years ago, a younger ski racer, I should say, I gave him a bit of grief. I uh, I was a bit annoying in the comments section of Slalom Tokyo Drift for a short while. Um, and it may have had something to do with the fact that I submitted a crash to Slalom Tokyo Drift and uh, he didn't post it. And I thought it was worthy. I thought it was drift worthy. So, uh, Ian, I apologize if you're listening. Now, to wrap things up, I just want to mention, as always, our loyal sponsors of this show, World Pro Ski Tour and Sync. So, first off, if you listen to the podcast, you know the World Pro Ski Tour, that's worldproskitour.com, has all the content you need to keep ski racing in your life. And it is also the up-and-coming, high-octane, I like to say, uh, head-to-head competition format of ski racing, and it's, some say, the future. So stay tuned next season to watch some of that. They always have televised or streamed events. And Sync Performance, that's S-Y-N-C, performance.com, is the apparel that is designed for designed by and tested by ski racers and it's high quality stuff i own a jacket myself so that's our episode that's our podcast i want to thank you as always for tuning in i want to remind you that kindness as sappy as it sounds is really huge in today's world and i do want to remind you to keep the uncomfortable conversations flowing and with that With all of that, I leave you until next Thursday. I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing This Week, Ski Racing Media's official podcast. See you later.